Okay, high time now for our tune of the week. Come on, let's go. This is the Media Industry Guru Show, the show that exposes you to entertainment, music, film, TV, and tech. We're online 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. And welcome back, Media Industry Guru Fanatics, on another epic episode. Today we are going to learn all things about film. That's right. We are going to learn about the film business. Here I am with Yolanda Macias. She is the Chief Content Officer and Head of Sales and Marketing for Synodyme. Synodyme, if you're not familiar with the brand, they are an entertainment film company that specializes essentially in digital cinema, streaming channels, content marketing, and distribution. She grew up in sunny LA from a bilingual and bicultural home with four other siblings and went to public school, then got her MBA. And now she is also just got recently this big accolade that we are going to talk about, which is being on the board of directors for Skechers. We will talk about her greatest achievements, her both personally and professionally, her successes, and the advice that she gives to 20-year-olds navigating the entertainment industry. We will hear all this from a C-suite executive, so let's welcome Yolanda. We will learn about her philanthropic work, her goals, as well as just all the advice that she gives to aspiring professionals that want to be optimistic and entrepreneurial and creative like herself. Hello, Yolanda. Welcome to the Media Industry Guru. Super excited to hear your eclectic background in the film business and excited to get started on your epic journey in this industry. Sounds wonderful. Happy to be here, Horace. So cool. To start off, what got you passionate about the film industry? Tell us a little bit more about your background, where you grew up. Sure. I'm a Los Angeles native. Born and raised in Los Angeles um, from immigrant parents, parents that moved here from Mexico when they're early teens. And they actually met in Los Angeles and um, raised, married, raised five children. Um, so I'm the fourth of five. And we um, all ended up on the west side of Los Angeles and went to public schools. Um, I went on to do my undergrad at Cal State Northridge and received a business degree with um, finance emphasis. And job I decided to take, um, and they chose me, was Holy and Loki, which is an investment banking firm. And they were great two years of introduction of all business industries. And what I realized early on is that um, while it was incredibly exciting to be around such um, talented uh, professionals. It really mattered to me about the project that I was on. So if I was working on a, a project that had to do with pesticides or something that I wasn't so interested in um, versus um, you know, London Fog or some a brand or something that I could actually relate to, it made a difference for me. And um, while it was the same work and the work was um, being highlighted on the Wall Street Journal, which was super excited. All those things were not as meaningful to me. So we were all, we were in the analyst program, all expected to go back to um, business school. 
I um, selected Northwestern to leave Los Angeles and um, really focus more on a general and marketing program um, to balance the quantitative um, background. And um, I knew that I would not be going back into a service occupation. I would want to work in an operating um, environment. Mm -hmm. And entertainment made a lot of sense for me. I was a passionate consumer of entertainment. Um, Growing up in Los Angeles, I was exposed to a lot of, my first job was working in a theater, (laughs) in a cinema. So um, I um, looked for an internship and I was able to, the benefit of their of the Walt Disney Company's internship program, and they offered me a full time position, and that was the beginning of media experience. So during your time working for an investment banking firm, I'm assuming you probably had a portfolio of clients, and did you have any in the entertainment space, or was it when you got to graduate school you developed this passion further for working in entertainment and then going to intern for Disney? Um, so as an analyst, you're selected to work on different projects. And as I mentioned, it was a, an array of industries, um, which is great exposure to learn about a variety of industries, what you do or do not want to work in. Mm-hmm. And I um, did get to work on a talent agency, which was in- very interesting because you were doing valuation work and rather than hard assets. We were valuing the talent. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, you had to be very creative and innovative and in how do we, mm-hmm. you know, uh, value the um, projected work of very specific talent and um, scores and all of those variables. <laughs> and what made you lean into the quant side of the industry? Because operations and finance and analytics, those are all uh, numerical, obviously, but what made you lean towards that side versus promotions or digital content? Well, initially there wasn't a digital media as we know it today. Yeah. Um, so I, I came in when in the distribution group and their strategy group. And this is at the Walt Disney Company when um, we were still producing VHSs. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the home entertainment group was paying the bills with Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, Lion King, all the major classics, um, selling you know tens of millions of units at Walmart and Kmart and so forth. Um, so I learned a lot about the, uh, all of the areas of operations, how um, from a theatrical uh, window to a um, home entertainment window. And many people could say it's packaged goods, but there was a lot of strategy, how to release it. Um, and the artwork itself was very different from what you would see at a movie poster. You know, I, I began to see all aspects and it wasn't, and when I left the Walt Disney Company, um, I went to work for DirecTV. And that was when there were less than a million subscribers. And um, we built, a, you know, a, an amazing subscription service um, that was disrupting the cable world um, mm-hmm. with satellite. It truly was rocket science. Then, and that was a form of digital, um, you know, ingestion and, and consumption of media. So you went from Walt Disney to then you went to Direct TV, right? And then after you're currently 
working at Synodyme. So tell us about your experience there and what were some of the skill sets that you acquired from Walt Disney to DirecTV and even in business school that translates to your role today? Well, just to um, reiterate what you mentioned about the quant side. So even though I was trying to run away from the quant side, when I went to business school, I chose a marketing mm -hmm. program. Um, and I also um, really tried to focus on you know content. When I was at the Walt Disney Company, I was working with mm -hmm. the acquisitions team to um, value the content that we were acquiring. Um, so that is very quantitative. Um, but if it weren't for those uh, roots and the fundamentals, I would not be as successful as I have been in my career. Um, and so I, I embraced it. At some point, I ended up embracing um, the quantitative side and expanding further on the marketing, publicity, promotions, creative, Mm -hmm. uh, content. Uh, at DirecTV, I launched the Spanish language um, platform and the Chinese language platform. And I was a general manager for, you know, hired um, people to um, to basically create a mini DirecTV within the DirecTV company. Um, it was, you know, as when we went from zero to $150 million business, it wow. was the first non-core business to succeed. And um, you know, with that, uh, when I left DirecTV, I sort of replicated that same with another team at Vivendi, which is Universal Music Group, had just sold the studios to NBC and they still had an infrastructure. So we built a independent um, distribution company and built that also from zero to $300 million and ended up selling the company onto Gaim, which then Synodyne purchased. So that's how I made my way to Synodyne. Um, but at Universal, we, um, the transition of uh, consumption from physical format, from a DVD to digital, was um, the beginning stages. The music industry had already uh, began that transition. And because we were part of Universal Music Group, I was able to uh, learn from you know, their, their challenges and their win winning um, achievements and apply that to video. And so that's where we struck our first Netflix deal and Amazon and so forth. Um, led the, the growth of the digital consumption and it was mostly transactional and SVOD. And now, as you know, it's um, moved into a lot of cord cutting away from your traditional basic cable and satellite and onto um, SVOD, AVOD and fast uh, models of, and ways for people to consume uh, entertainment. And for people that are inquisitive about the film industry, can you elaborate on the difference of SVOD, AVOD, and like uh, cable cord? So um, we're talking about films and television series. And um, it traditionally people have, you know, subscribed to cable. Um, and over time, Gen Z's, um, millennials have grown up with cable, but not necessarily ever paid for it on their mm -hmm. own. Um, and they may still have accounts from their parents on even just an SVOD service. Um, but um, they're far more, they scrutinize more the value of the content. Why are we, we're not watching all the channels. I only want to pay for what I'm viewing. Um, so the way that people interface with um, not just long form content, but also short form content has dramatically changed mm -hmm. over the course of the last seven to 10 years. 
Um, we've seen now the shift, not just on subscription based. So that's SVOD is subscription video on demand, like a Netflix or mm -hmm. um, HBO Max, or to um, moved into AVOD or advertised supported, or what people call fast which is free advertised supported television, which is mm -hmm. very much, uh, the experience very much is like a linear, you know, watching a cable show, except it's through your internet and connected devices. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, you know, the pricing is, as you know it for, for the subscription services and you don't have to watch advertise, um, advertisements. Um, there's some instances where some of those SVOD services are now considering adding an advertised component to it. Um, so I think the idea is still that we as distributors of content need to listen to our audience and bring them the content in the best manner that they want to yeah. ingest it. Mm -hmm. And and so the, the demand or the viewers are dictating how um, the direction that the technology is moving forward. Mm -hmm. And then technology is very important in order to enhance that experience. Yeah. And as technology evolves in this century, where do you think the industry is headed? Because a lot of um, uh, consumers have more than one subscription base, whether it's Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, etc. Um, even Peacock TV from NBC. There's so many platforms uh, for people to consume content. So where do you think that the industry is headed after like subscription-based modeling. Any ideas? <laughs> um, well, you're absolutely correct. I think at the peak of COVID, um, where everybody was home and watching uh, content, uh, the the number of the average number of SVOD services were five, mm -hmm. and it's now dropping off. We've already seen some softening as. Uh, mass mandates are being eliminated and you know, stay-at-home orders are lifted. People are, you know, um, clearly want to start interfacing and being yeah. in door activities. And so we have seen a drop-off to four from five to four. Um, but we've also seen the growth in the fast uh, arena where um, people are gravitating to, again, being very selective about um, what they're viewing and the value of what they're viewing. Um, so less interested in subscription if they can view it by watching advertisements. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and there's a lot of money moving away from traditional cable, meaning the advertisers are now spending more of their advertiser media funds on streaming service. Um, so I do think that air, that will continue to grow there will be more offerings. To your point, there are many offerings and that it will get cluttered and then you'll start seeing more bundled or, uh, you know, a, a, a multiple uh, channel offering. So it'll start mm -hmm. to feel a little bit like cable again. Um, like packages, yeah, with different correct. subscriptions. Uh, okay. That's right. Um, at a lower price point than if you added all those up together. Um, the way that Synodyme, which is the company I currently work at, um, the way we differentiate ourselves is that we have 30 channels. All of them are in some form of SVOD, AVOD, or FAST, um, focused on underserved markets. Mm -hmm. We're focused on um, passionate audiences that 
might find the best of that particular genre vertical on a Netflix, but they want more of it. So we have, for example, we um, have Bloody Disgusting and Screenbox um, as part of our channel lineup and um, is very focused on that horror fan that cares about um, the directors of, you know, that are very original and creative with their kills. Um, there's a whole podcast component um, through Bloody Disgusting and um, we will continue to bring in uh, refresh, uh, unique uh, content that hasn't been seen before um, and originals as well. Um, another example is Real Madrid, um, which is obviously the soccer, Spanish soccer league, and we carry all of their games. Um, you know, there's uh, Fandor with a um, indie, uh, you know, people that are passionate about indie films and series. Mm -hmm. um, they find, um, again, their favorite directors and blocks of that content within the channel. So you package TV content, you distribute it, create it and also podcasts as well revolving around this content so what would you say are some exciting projects that you've worked on that have been very rewarding challenging yet rewarding and fulfilling um we have um several uh co-productions and co-financing um projects where we um, produce films that we then acquire all we have all rights for and then we um, come up with a release strategy that makes sense for that particular film um, so we'll use um, for example a film that's out in the marketplace now it went out in theaters and then um, day and date which is a release strategy in theaters and also available transactionally with Apple and Google and Voodoo and Fandango and so forth mm. um, and that is called Boone, which is a Neil McDonough uh, starring film. Um, Westerns tend to um, sort of check a lot of boxes for audiences, um, has action and, you know, I guess you, you can't be too surprised after the <laughs> <laughs> So um, we um, currently it's in the transactional window and then it will most likely find a home with an SPOT player, what we call the one window. Um, it'll be there available exclusively for that particular time. And then we'll open it up non-exclusively across all of the platforms. Um, so that's an exciting uh, title that currently is in marketplace. Another one is Seven Days, which we um, acquired out of Tribeca. And um, we were so excited to bring um, Seven Days, which is a charming film, um, executive produced by the Duplass brothers. And um, we entered it into the Spirit Awards and it was nominated and won for best first feature. Um, so it's currently, it was in theaters, it's now in the transactional window and we're just bring that to the Oh, you have a variety of eclectic projects that you're working on that are coming to launch and fruition. And it's really exciting and wishing you all the best with you and your team on uh releasing this content that everybody will and subscribers will enjoy thank you thank you so i want to get into um also your philanthropic and um other endeavors as well um you were just appointed to sketchers as one of the board directors so what would you say is um rewarding about working outside of entertainment i mean this is 
towards a little bit towards fashion, but what would you say is rewarding about being on a board for a big brand? It's incredibly rewarding and it's an honor to um, serve on their board. As Skechers is, you know, a global brand, well-known um, and actually has greater sales outside of the North America um, than in the States. Um, you know, a company that was born in Southern California in Manhattan Beach and has grown significantly. Mm -hmm. um, be a prominent brand in the footwear um, business. Um, it's a marketing company. You can look at it from that perspective. Um, and I believe you know, I bring um, a different viewpoint with my digital media experience and my operating experiences similar, even, the even though there are different um, industries. Um, we are looking at some very similar challenges and growth opportunities. Um, and I also bring representation that many boards need and should have. Um, yeah, Tina. You also are highly involved in uh, philanthropic work with um, youth and advocacy. So tell us a little bit about that side of uh, your personal endeavors. Yes. So I'm also serve on the board and the executive board um, for C5LA, which is um, a nonprofit organization focused on under-resourced, high-potential teens and put them on a path to, um, it's a five-year program, which is why it's called five years, um, to put them on a program to um, enter into a four-year university with a 99% um, success rate. Um, I've been part of the, um, the C5LA organization for almost seven years. Uh, I find that you know, I, I see the, the progress and the success with the students. We call them leaders because they will be leaders. They are leaders now and they will continue to be leaders in the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, I see myself in them. I, you know, was uh, under-resourced youth and um, there weren't these types of organizations when I was coming through um, the system. I had no guidance on how to <laughs> find and enter a four-year university. That changed as um, I started to learn from my own peers. But this is an opportunity for uh, these um, incredibly um, high potential teens to receive resources that they wouldn't normally receive. And, um, and as I said, um, the results speak for themselves. Yeah, you're very entrepreneurial, you're very philanthropic and high-spirited, and you have a wide array of experiences from the philanthropic work that you do to sketchers, to working on, in film, and then in, also in investment banking where you started out after CSUN. For college students that are trying to navigate the entertainment industry to find their craft or don't know what they exactly want to do after they graduate, but want to work in entertainment, what advice would you give? Would you say being very well-rounded like yourself is important? Well, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, I think first you do have to be passionate about it on whatever it is that you do. And let's say it is entertainment. Um, you, uh, I mean, it's, it's a something, and, and I'm sure it's the same regardless of which industry you choose, but 
you will be thinking about it and doing it for many hours of the day. Um, you know, it depends what route you take. If you immediately go into production and on the creative side, or you decide to stay on the other side of the camera, um, it's hard work and um, not necessarily rewarding initially until you get some more experience and then um, can build off of that experience to take the next step. Uh, so, I th But I think that once you, you recognize and identify that this is where you want to spend your life, your career life, then um, that's probably the, the most important step. Mm -hmm. and, and it's what part of that entertainment area do you do you um, calls calls for you know on you is it um yeah. you know what aspect do you want to work in i'm you know in my case because i came from such a different part of the uh, of the industry and it was very quantitative it made sense for me to lean in on those skill sets and, and analytics and valuation i applied valuation mm -hmm. uh you know skills to projecting what's what you know a film or a television series would be worth um, in order to know what to pay for it in the acquisitions world so it was it, there were skills that I was able to um, translate and to apply in the in, in a in an industry that I love and you could probably attest to the fact that a role like in fa in finance and analytics there's a much more demand even in law there's much more of a demand for those roles versus a creative role where um everybody kind of wants it it's fighting for it there's more competition right of course um you know one one is much more um finite and very objective and you know you need certain mm -hmm. skills in order to get the business done and mm -hmm. so many times that is your first you know, your step in, your way to get in, and then you can always move out into a different area um, once you start making those connections and and improve yourself and your um, the quality of your work. Yeah, definitely. It's easy to pivot, especially when you're younger in your uh, career endeavors. So I want to hear from a C-suite executive. What has been uh, your greatest? success, both personally and professionally. You mentioned personally that uh, your children and then professionally, um, the intersection of your two passions in home entertainment and the un underprivileged and undeserved um, U.S. Latinx market. Yes, so, um, so yeah, clearly um, on the personal side, my greatest achievement has been my two children who are currently <laughs> university um both at the same university in dallas at smu and um i'm just thrilled and uh excited about their their future um on the on the career end i mentioned that at direct tv i launched spanish language um programs and that was the intersection of my personal passions of of uh, assisting and evolving the Latin community with entertainment. So it was a way to bring um, programming and content to an underserved market. And it was early days. Um, this was in the late 90s mm -hmm. um, at DirecTV. 
I've always, um, and it was successful. Um, it wasn't easy. It was a big challenge because I had to learn how uh, satellites work and transponders. <laughs> I had to work with the engineers because oh, there wasn't enough space in that mm -hmm. particular uh, satellite to carry all these this new content. So we had to launch a, a different satellite. And um, you may remember those dishes on people's uh, roofs where there was yep. one that was a little bit oblong instead of circular. And that's because it was, and it had two different arms because it was looking at two different satellites. And that was for the Spanish language programming. Um, so it was very uh, technical. And um, and I my job was to make it as simple as possible for the audience. They did not care they were coming from two different satellites. Or, um, we just needed to make the hardware proposition very seamless and easy in order for them to truly enjoy the programming that was coming from different countries. So there were about 20 channels coming in from um, Mexico, Spain, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, um, and a lot of sports programming that um, U.S. Latinos really missed. And because it wasn't this, the Latino market is fragmented, meaning there are Spanish dominance, bilingual English dominant Latinos. Um, we wanted to bring a programming package that was meaningful to the entire home. And in the home, there are multi-generations. So it was really important to not just bring one channel, but to bring a suite of channels to um, the marketplace. I think there was a lot of research done, a lot of um, you know marketing uh, and promotions done in a respectful way to address all of the interests of the Latino market in the, U in the U.S. because the Eastern Corridor looks very different from the Western Corridor, and even the even the Spanish itself needed to remain neutral and not be too um, extreme one way or the other. And yeah. what's, um, so that was, uh, you know, an endeavor that um, brought both sides of of my um, goals together, wow. and we brought forth a product and a service that uh, continues to exist. Wow! So you have, yeah, it's fascinating how you've uh, had these greatest achievements just early on in your profession, and then how they've kind of accumulated over the time. It's really fascinating. So to wrap things up, I want to hear more about any personal and professional goals that you have for the upcoming year. As everyone, I want to get out of the house, <laughs> um, be out to go to concerts and festivals. And um, and so part of my job, I, I attend you know markets and um, film festivals and we'll start that up again. I was meant to go to Sundance this Jan past January, but the in-person portion was canceled. Um, so that was incredibly disappointing, but we believe that this is um, there's a change and um, that page has been flipped and we're going to be attending. Um, so I do want, you know, I love to travel. I want to do more of that with my family and friends. Um, I want to also continue to pursue um, serving on public boards um, and, and bring forth my experience um, as well as representation. And then as far as upcoming exciting projects or um, you have one of them, including the Elvis Presley channel um, that's launching in June. That's very exciting. Any other projects or announcements? 
Well, we, you know, purchased a company um, called Digital Media Rights, um, and they have 10 channels, um, mostly in the anime. And so we're in the middle of integration now. Um, so we're super excited that we have 30 channels, again, very passionate, driven, enthusiast channels, of which we um, own um, 15 of those. And, um, and that means that we're programming it and we're bringing in content, refreshing, originals. So it's been really um, an interesting time because um, it, mm -hmm. it is getting competitive, but we also feel that we're hitting an area where there's a huge demand for our yeah. content. Um, and it's very exciting where the advertisers are acknowledging that this is a great place to put their media. You know, we're the perfect um, home for media dollars if our audience is your audience, you know, to a brand, because um, there's very little waste. It's very specific. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're at a really interesting time, um, you know, well positioned and not just with our the channels that I mentioned before, um, but as you just mentioned, the Elvis Presley channel, we're about to launch that in time for the Warner Brothers movie that will be released at the end of June, um, starring Tom Hanks and Austin Butler. And um, we are positioning the channel as a lifestyle channel. So Elvis Presley, how he influenced so many areas of our lives, such as fashion and music and um, film and uh, cars and we'll, and, and food, for example. So we will have um, show movies, television series, documentaries, um, and then um, non-scripted uh, TV series. We are, we just sent a crew out to Palm Springs because the Palm Springs home that Elvis owned for eight years um, is about to be restored. And we're planning to follow the evolution of that and um, bring it to the audiences where it will be respectfully restored as the King um, envisioned it. And um, it will be a six part series uh, speaking to people that spent time there and seeing the before and after and the big reveal. Wow, you have a lot of upcoming goals personally, professionally, within your work, outside, with your family, and philanthropically. So congratulations on all your accolades and achievements. Thank you so much, Yolanda. This is a pleasure and wishing you great success and hope to see you hold more board positions for other big brands. Thank you, Horace. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Media Industry Guru Podcast. Stay tuned for coolest upcoming episodes they're gonna be wildfire y'all they are incredible and stay tuned for upcoming music industry professionals film professionals artists tech anything that you want to hear feel free to email at media industry guru podcast at gmail.com or if you would like to be on the podcast and give a little promo or shout out or just talk with me because you know what i'm doing on tuesdays listening to my own podcast but also interviewing other guests because I love doing this. This is my passion project, but also my side hustle. So feel free to email me at mediaindustryguru.podcast at gmail.com. We'll set up a time. Listen to episodes on Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern, on Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, 
and now iHeart and Deezer. So thank you for tuning in to the Media Industry Guru Podcast, and peace out, and we will rock and roll. Peace.